0: Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So last week, we, we opened a new series, Roadmap. Anybody enjoying? Enjoy last week? This side of the room. I'm going to talk to this side of the room today, because they enjoyed this series. You guys didn't really enjoy it, apparently. No, we opened this new series uh, called Roadmap, and it's, it's designed... To, We're becoming the people God wants us to be. The whole point of this series is for us to become the people in the church God desires. But in order to do that, in order to get to where we're going, we have to follow Jesus. We have to take certain roads and we have to follow our faith. Because the person we will be in December, how many know the person you'll be in December isn't the same person you are today. Like There are going to be things that happen. Life experiences will happen. You're going to have losses and you're going to have wins. You're going to have trials and there are going to be victories. And all of it is going to be used to shape you. The miraculous and the mundane will all be changed. And as people of God, we want to be known not by what happens to us, but by how we handle what happens to us. It's like, how are you going to respond to what life throws at you this year? Or in the words of the great Mike Tyson, the the famous theologian, he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? We all set out in January with these great plans, great resolutions, and then life punches us in the mouth. And suddenly, something we didn't see coming hits us and knocks us down. So how are we going to respond to those things? Because Roadmap isn't a series to get you from one place to another. This is a four-week series. Life is so much bigger than one four-week series. Roadmap is designed to help us plot a course of becoming and being with Jesus, becoming more like and being with Jesus, to guide us as we go from here to there. Because even though we don't understand all of his ways, even when life looks jumbled and messy, even when life does punch us in the mouth, even when we get knocked down, God's still near, right? He's not, he's not absent, and he's not a God of chaos, but of order, and in order for us to become more like him, we have to be with him. God is less concerned with where we are going and more concerned with how we go and the person we become along the way. God is more concerned with the person you become along the way in your journey than he is with how you go or where you go. So the end goal to Roadmap isn't to set out a course and check off the list and arrive at point B from point A safely. It's not to to get to a certain destination. We aren't simply on a journey to get from here to there. The point of Roadmap is that God wants us to follow Jesus, to love like he loved, to even heal as he healed, to correct And to guide and disciple as he did, to serve and to sacrifice as he did, to to know God and to make him known as as Jesus did. I mean, think about the disciples walking with Jesus and the stories that you know from the gospel. It wasn't about getting to a certain place. Oh, we're going to go over here with Jesus. It was about, oh, I'm walking with Jesus as I go to this place, I'm walking with Jesus on this journey. It's not about getting somewhere. God is about us being with him as we go. Jesus isn't a place you reach on the journey. He's a person walking with you on your journey. But we want to make life about our arrival to a certain place. We want to make life about our arrival just getting to heaven. I made it! Woo! Praise the Lord! I squeaked in under the, just barely. I know, you're surprised to see me here too. I'm just as surprised it's going to be all right. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, ah, I don't really follow Jesus. I'm, I'm not really leaning into the things of Christianity. I've got my issues with it. And, and so you can't really relate to that, but you can relate to the fact that you know what it feels like if, if I could just get to this next pay period. If I could just get on the other side of this season of, of life that I'm in, this season of depression. If I could just make it to the weekend then I'll be all right. If I could just get on the other side of this divorce, if I could just get to the other side of this struggle, if I could just get my kids to graduate and move out of the house because I'm tired of them being there. Graduation's coming up. Parents, (laughs) hold on. If I could just make it through the winter... And we want to make it about us. Like we want to make the arrival to a place, a destination about us. But life isn't about our arrival. It's about his arrival. The gospel is an announcement that we can make it into heaven. The gospel is the announcement that God came from heaven and arrived into our scene. He arrived into our place. And his arrival wasn't to provide a template to modify behavior. God's arrival on earth wasn't so that we become morally good people or righteous people, self-righteous people. It wasn't so that we have all the answers and figure it all out. God came, Jesus came so that dead people would be brought back to life. This is the story of the gospel. To make a way for us to live holy, set apart lives for his glory and his fame. And so Roadmap looks a lot more like being in his presence than reaching a destination. Because in order to become more like him, you've got to be with him. And we have to learn to lean into the process of being transformed by him. And when we follow Jesus, we're changed. Like you can't help but be changed when you follow Jesus. Every single part of your life will be changed by him. There's not a single part of your life that he doesn't want to invade and change for the kingdom and the, his glory. All of life is leading somewhere. Every part is connected. And heaven can break through at any time. Jesus being born in a stable in a manger is proof of that. That heaven can break through at any moment, and as overwhelming as that can be, sometimes just setting in the angst of is it going to happen now? Like growing up, you heard a lot about the second coming, and and just is it going to be today? Is it going to be like that angst of just when's it going to happen? Heaven can break in at any time, and it can be overwhelming, but that's why it's so exciting too. Like that's why the gospel is so exciting and that's why it's for everyone because the gospel is the announcement that God has come for everyone. He's come to make himself known. And following him can't be reduced to an equation. It can't be reduced to do an X, Y, Z. Really the only steps in following Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Those are the only two steps following jesus and you may be sitting there going what about the laws and what about the commands and what about his principles and what about this and what? jesus resolved everything he summed it all up by saying love god and love people isn't it amazing that the complexity of this book these 66 books can be reduced down that god took it and reduced it down for us and he simply said love god and love people it's like love me and love those that i've created Love Jesus with everything you have, and you'll live. Don't be fooled, though. This love that we enter into isn't soft. It's not absent of direction. It's not absent of discipline. It's not easy. As Mr. Beaver says in Narnia, it's not even safe. This love isn't safe. It takes courage. Love makes us enter into difficult situations. Love makes us have those difficult conversations, Love has to be put on display. Love empowers us to face fears and overcome sin. And while his love is freely given, it cost Christ something. It wasn't free to him. It cost him his life. And to receive this love but not follow his laws, to receive his forgiveness but not practice following him is to miss the plot of God entirely because his love is what's going to change you. In fact, it's the only thing powerful enough in all of the universe to change you. And so we started the year asking, how do you want to change? What do you want to see in your life? Where area? What area are you, are you weak in? And so 21 days of giving up something to focus on the Lord, and during that time, you know, God spoke to probably, hopefully, all of us, many of us, and we wrote down words, and, and some of these words re- reflect that place of growth that we need to, to enter into. Words like, be bold, have patience. Trust him, have patience, grow in grace, have patience, go all in. Some of you are going to have the most patience, like this is going to be the most patient church at the end of the year because there were so many that like, I'm just praying patience right now, Lord, just give us patience, help us to exercise that. But intentional positivity, I want my mind to be positive, I want to think positive, not for the sake of being positive, but because of what God's done in my life, I want to speak it. I want to believe it. I want to be totally devoted. I want to have joy in my life. I want to commit more. I want to lead better. I want to be a better husband and a better father and a better wife. I want to preach to women. Somebody said that. I am preaching to women. <laughs> Ladies, pay attention. And my favorite, my absolute favorite word that was written down was dance. This little girl, precious, she just, she just wrote down dance. And it's like, I just want to... Use my gift and my talent. I want to see it grow. I just want to dance for God. And for some, these are just words. But for some of us, it's it's really an admission of, like, we don't have it all together. Like, I'm frail. I'm I'm a little bit broken. I I don't have it all figured out. And when I say I want to be more bold, I want to be more courageous, I'm saying, really, I need help. Like, I need you to help me. And that's what church is for, right? Like to edify and to build each other up where you're strong, maybe I'm weak and so I can learn from you and where I'm strong, maybe you're weak but but you can learn from me. That's what church is about. So that each of us become more and more like Jesus and that's the point. The point isn't to arrive to a destination. The point is to become more like Jesus. So today we're gonna look at some steps we can take on our roadmap and our journey of becoming more like Jesus. But again, understand that it's not a process that looks like one, two, three, I'm going to check this off, and then we're going to move on to this, and then I'm going to have this arrival. It doesn't look like that. The process looks like waking up and worshiping God, being in his presence, taking in his word, allowing it to transform you, being in prayer with God, meditating on his word, being grateful for what he's done, serving others, putting others before yourself, going to bed humble and grateful, and getting up and doing the same thing over and over again. So that each day you look more and more and more like Jesus. Can we all do that? Can we, like, can we at least agree on that? Like That's the goal, to look like Jesus. Hey, pray with me real quick again. Jesus, thank you for these moments. And we thank you for your word. Um, God, help to speak through me. Uh, may your Holy Spirit just move in this space right now. And uh, not only convict hearts, but cleanse them. And, and help us to walk away looking more like you. Help us to walk away saying, God was good today. I had an encounter with Jesus, and, and I just want to be more like him. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. First Samuel chapter 24, uh, we're going to be there today. We're going to look at the entire chapter. They don't let me speak very often, so I have 37 points. This shouldn't take more than four hours. You guys are the 1045. It's not like somebody's coming in after you. So, get ready. 1 Samuel chapter 24, to kind of set the scene here, this is way before Jesus, okay? This is way before the disciples, this is way before Paul of the New Testament, Um, this is really before a lot of the prophets of old that we have, this is left side of the Bible, kind of in the the, the first third of your book, and uh, at this point in time, Israel is a nation, but they're a little bit loose-knit, okay? They're not real together, Um, they have a king, his name is Saul, but he's not a great king. In fact, the, the people asked, up until this point, they were following God. God was kind of, their, they were king. He was their main leader, but then they, they want a king. They're crying out for a king, so God gives them Saul. The problem is, like I said, Saul wasn't a very good king, and Saul had a tendency to be self-absorbed. Like Nobody here can relate to that. Saul's faced with a giant. We all know this story. Even if you're not in church, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. Small boy comes out, kills the giant, puts his, you know, he's got faith in God that God's going to deliver, kills the giant. And so where we are in the story is a few years after that, but it's, we're still dealing with the fallout of, of Saul's lack of faith in God and, and taking care of the Philistine, the giant. David had killed the giant, but, but Saul's dealing with the fallout from that event. So he's sitting in his jealousy, he's allowed his emotions to bind his judgment and and to blind him, and he's lost the favor of the Lord because of some disobedience, and he's lost the confidence of some of the people and some of his generals in the army, and as a result, the health of the entire kingdom is in the balance. They're on the verge of of being split between the, the, the named king and David the people's champ, right? Scripture even says that Saul was actually afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. And then you have David on the other hand who had been spending a lot of time with the Lord, who had been obedient, who was growing in popularity. He's working for Saul, he's he's playing a, a, a an instrument in Saul's court to help him with the torment of this spirit. He killed Goliath, he's winning over the hearts of people, women are writing songs about him. Everything's going his way. He had victories in battle. And eventually, the, the, the jealousy that Saul had for David, it takes over and it gets the best of him. And he tries to kill David. Tries to kill him. David's playing his instrument and Saul throws a spear at him. And David's like, whoa, hang on, time out. Can we talk about this? And get past it and it happens again. And, you know, eventually, like some of you are going to work tomorrow, Monday morning. You're like, I've got the worst job and the worst boss ever. No one's throwing spears at you. Okay. <laughs> If they do, get out of there. Find a different job. Call the police. It's illegal. After a few failed attempts, David's like, yeah, all right, I'm out. Had enough of this. And Saul just, he's pursuing him. What about what I've done for Israel? I'm the king. What about my victories? Not really writing songs about me, and if they are, they're comparing me to David what about my battle wins? What about the time I've almost lost my life? What about me? And David, the entire time, he's being patient and he's trusting God. He knew he'd been anointed king. David knew that, that one day that crown would be his, that his time on the throne was coming, but he also knew that God was in control. He trusted God at his word. And so we have a huge difference between David and between Saul that David was being obedient and practicing being in the presence of God, and Saul was, was really just walking away. He was being disobedient. He was trying to find other reasons. He was making an excuse. He was pursuing greed and power over the presence. And, and blessing and favor fell on David where, where Saul experienced downfall because he was trying to tell his own story. Saul chose to do things his own way. And how many times in our lives has a situation resulted in us coming to the end going, what about me? Whoa, 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 what about all the things I did? What about all the effort I put into this? Where's the credit here? Come on, people, I need a pat on the back. I need some recognition. What about my hard work and my effort and my time? And what happens is we allow our emotions to cloud our judgment, and like Saul, we lose sight of the plot in the story God's trying to tell. So that sets the scene. That's kind of where we are. Let's dive in. Verse 1, chapter 24, 1 Samuel. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of en So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So Saul is, remember, he's king. He's got to protect the entire nation. He's got a lot going on. He's got people trying to take his land and take his possessions, and he's out pursuing the Philistines. He hears about David, a rumor that David might be in the desert of Engedi, in the crags of the wild goats. I mean, what a name for a place. And so what does he do? He takes off after David. He takes a break from the Philistines because he heard David's in the desert. Pursues someone who's not even his enemy. He pursues someone who is perceived as his enemy. How many times do we take our eyes off of our enemy to fight someone close to us? How many times have you taken your eyes of what God has called you to to fight someone close to you? Because you lost sight of what God is calling you to. Saul came to the sheep's pen along the way. The cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. Because, you know, we're talking truth here. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up, unnoticed, and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. The men believe this is God's appointed time. Like, the men and David are all huddled in the back of this cave, and suddenly the man that has been chasing them trying to kill them for years walks into the cave. He's like, David, bro, this is it. Like, this is the time. Do you see who that is? His guards aren't around. Nobody's around. Deal with him as you wish. Which begs the question, how does God want us to deal with our enemies? How do we deal with the people who hurt us? When we have the opportunity to take revenge or strike back, what do we do? And is it the same way God would have us strike? David sneaks up. He raises his knife. He doesn't stab him. He doesn't even just like poke him a little bit. Like, <laughs> run away. He cuts off the corner of his robe. Now David's sending a message because David cuts the very thing that signifies Saul is the king. He cuts off a corner of the robe that signifies that Saul's the king. And he's saying, you're not worthy of this. And that cutting symbolized the removal of Saul. This, this position, it's above the character. And while David didn't kill him physically, he assassinated his character. David was saying, you no longer have the presence of God, you no longer have the power, you don't have the backing of the people, you're not a king, because you're not acting like a king. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. The fact that David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe, I mean, he didn't kill Saul. He didn't raise his knife against him, but he felt remorse for cutting off the corner of his king's robe. He defiled Saul. He could have killed him, but he didn't. And yet David wasn't giving himself a pass in what he didn't do. Like it wasn't like, hey, good job for not killing him. Way to go, sport. No, he felt remorse. He felt a deep turmoil in his soul. The the Hebrew here actually means that he felt a wound in his spirit. Like this weight of needing to repent. Because even though he didn't do the worst, He didn't present his best either. So David goes out of the cave. Saul walks away. David goes out of the cave and says, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to men when they say David has been harming you? David calls out, still the king, still recognizes him as the king. Cries out to him, calls out to him, The lord, my lord, the king. And I want to ask, when's the last time you saw someone acting like your enemy, but you honored them as a king? You honored them as royalty. David bows down to honor Saul, the man trying to take his life. He chose to see Saul not as his adversary, but as one God appointed. When's the last time you looked at someone you thought or you think is your enemy and went, no, they're not my adversary because I don't battle against flesh and blood. They're not my enemy. They're God's appointed. And I can honor them. I have the opportunity to honor them. David says, This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I've not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. David didn't slay his enemy, but through restraint, David destroyed Saul's ego and the animosity that had arisen between the two of them. He destroyed Saul's ego and the animosity that came up between them because the antidote to our hostilities to someone else, the antidote to hostility between you and any other person is showing humility. It's showing humility in a moment given. And showing restraint is always more powerful than throwing a spear. You can throw a spear. You absolutely can, but should you? Against whom has the king of Israel come out? David says, whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David says, who am I? Saul, come on, I'm a dead dog here. You're out pursuing a flea, one tiny little flea. Even if you kill me, what kind of prize is that for a king? You're going you're to trace me around like, hey, look what I did. I killed a flea. Good job, Saul. Way to show your power and your might. Glad you're my king. No, this is below you. I'm not even your enemy, but you're out here hunting me. Why are you wasting your time with me? You're the king. You have more important things to do. When David finished saying all this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. Goes on to say, You are more righteous than I am. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Saul wept. He cried. And he responds just as we all should when our eyes are open to the sin we carry, when the sin we have in our hands. Returning back, calling it out, crying over it. So David gave his oath to Saul And Saul returned home, but David and his men went back to the stronghold. David's this fugitive on the run in the wilderness. For years, he's eluded Saul and his men, and and he's in the desert, he's in a cave, and this man that's been hunting him finds himself, Saul finds himself at the mercy of David. David men tell him, David, it's so obvious that this is the way. Like, God has delivered you to him. We've been waiting for this. They even go so far as to quote. God and his promises. It's what we've been praying for. It's the answer to our prayer. Look what God has done. All our troubles will be gone. Reach out and take what is yours. Like David, the, the life of the one, like we can finally go home if you kill this man. You understand that, right? We've been running for years. We haven't seen our families and we can finally go home in Saul's life and become who, who you're supposed to be. But David's men were responding from their feelings and not their faith. David's men were allowing the lure of instant gratification to get the best of their judgment. And what we can learn from this is that just because you are moving in faith like David doesn't mean your friends are. Just because you are moving and pursuing God doesn't mean your friends are. This is why it's important for you to pay attention to what God's telling you. This is why it's important for you to be in his presence. This is why it's important for you to have an active relationship with him and don't simply allow other Christians or pastors or anybody else to speak into you louder than what God is speaking to you. Yes, seek wise counsel. Yes, have conversations with people. Yes, our doors are always open for you to come and talk to us as pastors. But at the end of the day, Your convictions from the Holy Spirit are more valuable than any word or message or counseling any pastor or friend or teacher can give you because it's from God. And anything God has to say to you is infinitely more powerful than what I could ever say. This is why it's so important for you to be in an active relationship with Him. The other thing we can see here is just because the roadmap seems obvious doesn't make it wise. Just because the path is plain, doesn't mean it's always the plan. Because how many of us know the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom? What looks good to us isn't always what God has for us. What looks like the easy way usually isn't God's way. The people you listen to may sound like they have all the answers. Radio hosts and podcasts and celebrities and even family and friends and co-workers and but if they aren't giving godly wisdom, and you don't know what godly wisdom is, if you're not spending time to be able to discern that godly wisdom, if they aren't reflecting Jesus daily, what kind of advice are you really getting? What kind of advice are you listening to? Because trusting God in the story often looks ridiculous. It often doesn't look like the way. David had the opportunity. Sneaks up behind Saul. All he had to do is reach out. The throne was not only his, but rightfully his. Like, it was his to take. God had appointed him. Years past, God had appointed him to it. He had the public on his side. The roadmap seemed clear. This is the path to the throne. But but wait, David's mind, wait a minute. Is this the path to the throne? Like, does this align with God's word, what I'm about to do? Does it align with his laws? Does it align with all of his character? So ignoring his friends and ignoring what seemed obvious, David didn't take his life, but instead he used the moment to honor God. See, this moment in time in the cave where David sneaks up behind Saul isn't about Saul retaining his life. This moment is about David trusting God and the promise God gave. Even in the chaos, even on the road, even on the run, When he's an enemy of the state, his actual life at stake, David chose to trust God at what he said he was going to do. And where David could have destroyed him, he chose to deliver him, trusting that God's story would be greater and put on display. It's like David saying, I know my roadmap will eventually lead to this position. I know that I'm going to be king, but I don't want it this way. Like, I don't want the crown if this is... This isn't the way. Like, this isn't... Like, God has the crown for me, but not like this. I don't want this under-the-table deal. I don't want this shade thrown across it. I don't... I don't want it if it's going to be at the expense of somebody else's life. That's not... That doesn't align with the character of God. That's... That doesn't seem like something God would do. And even though it seemed like the path to his men, David knew... He couldn't kill God's chosen king. His desire to obey was greater than his desire to destroy. David walked into that cave a criminal, but it's obvious from what we've read that he walked out a king. He walked out with the mind of a king, and Saul admits, you're more righteous than I am. You've treated me well, and I haven't done the same to you. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. Like, why? Why? It's because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Paul puts it this way in the, in the New Testament. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. It's like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Just because you can make that comment, just because you can send that text with that little jab, just because you can make that post, Just because you can manipulate a little bit, just because you can be passive aggressive, just because you can, if I say it this way, then I'll be able to get my way and and really get what I wanted out of the situation. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And David's restraint here showed that his allegiance was to the laws of the Lord and not a title. He was trusting God and this all-in devotion that we see from David setting free to become who God desired him to be. All in, that devotion set the man free to be who God had called him to be. Because David's going, doesn't matter what my friends say, doesn't matter my position, my life on the line, the title I carry, doesn't matter who's after me, doesn't matter my job or my life, doesn't matter what they're saying or what they're thinking or what they're writing about me, I'm going to stay true to following God and being who he is making me to be. I'm going to set the tone in my life. I'm going to walk humbly with God. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to show mercy when mercy wasn't shown to me. I'm going to love people all because God loved me. That's the response of life. That's how we're going to be changed. And I'd rather live in the chaos of obedience than any amount of regret. Because David had spent time with God, he was able to use three filters. He was able to understand these filters and use them to his advantage. The wisdom of God, the principles of God, and the law of God. He was able to be obedient in all three to help him discern the will of God. So our first point, if you're taking notes, our first point or David's first filter is the wisdom of God. David spent a lot of time with God and he grew in the wisdom of God. It wasn't something that he received. He didn't throw up a Hail Mary prayer and and just... Hope that God would download him with a bunch of wisdom so that he could figure out the path to take and which way to go. No, remember, before David was a fugitive on the run from Saul, before he was a soldier in the army winning battles, before he was a musician in Saul's corps, he before he was a giant slayer, he was a shepherd in a field tending sheep, spending time with the Lord, being molded in his presence. So David didn't go on the run from Saul hoping the Lord would be near. He knew God was near. David wasn't confident because his roadmap was clear. He wasn't like, hey, this is the exact path I've got to take to the crown. I can have confidence. No, he was confident because God was close. He was confident in his walk because his God was close. And it was never about reaching a destination, of, but about God being with him the entire time. How much time are you spending with God to reach your destinations of becoming more like Jesus? How much time are you spending following culture and being influenced instead of being the influencer? How much time are you spending to gain the wisdom of God so that you can discern the will of God? The second filter, or our second point, is the principle of God. We see David uses this principle, or he knows the principles of God. He actually quotes a principle from the day, a proverb um, from evildoers come evil deeds so my hand will not touch you. And what he's really saying is wicked acts come from wicked people. It's like, Saul, if I were wicked like you, if, if I were evil, if, if I were like you at all, you'd be dead. Like I would, have killed you in the, I would have killed you in the cave. I wouldn't have cut off a part of your robe. I would have killed you. But I'm not going to stoop to your level. I, I don't want to be like you. That, you're not the type of person I want to be like. You're not the kind of king I want to be. And so we have a principle and we know David has the wisdom of God and he's using the wisdom to discern. And I often wonder, what what principles am I living by? What principles are you living by right now that that aren't God-based? like They're not biblically sound. And every day we follow principles. Like every single day there are things that we believe and that we walk through and that we apply to our life. Some are sound, some are biblically based. Um, Like always take the high road. Be the bigger person right? Biblically sound, um, you can find not those words in scripture, but, but themes that back that up in scripture, or you're only as good as your word, um, mean what you say, say what you mean, like let your yes be yes and your no mean no, right? Um, stupid games win stupid prizes, right? You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You, it's this you reap what you sow mentality, um, and some of those are good. Some of those principles are really good, but then there's, honestly, come on, some of these principles that we see floating around are a joke. They're not biblically based at all, and, and, and really, you've heard me say some of these before, but God helps those who help themselves, right? No, that's not how it works, because at the heart of the gospel is the fact that God helped us when we could do nothing for ourselves. No work was enough, no sacrifice was enough, nothing we could do could settle the debt of our sin, But God, while we were still sinners, did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So God doesn't help those who help themselves. No, God helps those who trust in him, who are in his presence, who are obedient to him. Another one we we see sometimes is good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. Well, on the surface, not really anything wrong with that. Until you start thinking about, wait, so if good is the enemy of great, what are we going for here? We start confusing great with perfect, static, unchanging, which drops good down to this level of eh, average, okay. But when God created everything, what did he call it? He called it good. He didn't call it great. He didn't call it perfect. He called it good. And I think the reason is in our mind, perfection is a destination that we can reach, that we can attain, that we can arrive to. We, we can just go, look at me. I made it to perfect. Give me a hand, people. Come on. Pat on the back. I've arrived. Nothing more I can do. God, you're welcome. But that's not the case. There's no perfection that we can obtain. I mean, Jesus came, and he was perfect, and we still didn't recognize that. We didn't see it in him. So good is the enemy of great? Mm. God called me good, and I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to believe that. Another one we see all the time, live your truth. Live your truth. Ultimately, truth is not subjective. When truth becomes subjective, it's no longer truth. It's a preference. You prefer to believe that. But Christians, listen to me, because we're really bad about this we also don't own the corner to truth. We don't have all the answers. We simply have access to them. We have access to all the answers because all truth is God's. He owns it all. And so as his and as his children, we can claim those things. But we don't own the corner on truth. Only God does. Truth is not up for debate. We don't make our own. We don't find our own. We don't discover our own. We don't live our own. Truth has a name and that name is Jesus and we follow him. And then, if you've been around me for a while, at any length of time, I'm probably going to call you out on this. Some of you are laughing already. It is what it is. Come on, it is what it is. No hope for that to change. No place for transformation. No room for God to work in that. It is what it is. Listen, it is what it is would have God giving up on us in the garden at the fall. It is what it is would have Goliath killing David. It is what it is would have kept Jesus from coming to earth. God creates, we mess up. Eh, it is what it is. Bunch of sinners, no hope. It is what it is. It is what it is would have sin gain victory in our lives. But that's not the people we're called to be. We aren't going to resolve to say it is what it is. We're people who follow and believe and have faith in a God who is present on the scene, who defeated sin, defeated death, conquered a grave, and because of his great love and because of the cross that is forever, the tomb is empty. He is victorious, and it is what it is is no longer. It is what God says it is, and God said it's finished. And that's good news. The good news of the gospel says it's finished. It's not it is what it is because we have resurrection power flowing through us. Remember, heaven can break into a scene at any moment. Exciting, overwhelming, but not it is what it is. And finally, our third point and our third filter, the law of God. 1 Samuel 24, 4. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands. This is David speaking. How the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. I mean, really simply, to kill the king was to break God's law and murder is never a part of God's plan. That's never a part of God's plan. Even character assassination is not a part of God's plan. This is why we see David repenting of of what we might consider such a small sin, but he was so in tune with the things of God and the will of God that he didn't want that to allow him to fall into bigger and greater things, bigger and greater sins that were going to impact his life. God had promised David delivery from Saul. And what we see in the cave is that there was a moment of delivery of Saul to David. David but David chose to show mercy and to love someone who thought he was his enemy. And we see this echoing into the New Testament. Like isn't it isn't it so unreal how we can see this story and then Jesus comes along and he says the things that we're seeing played out in the New Testament but it's thousands of years later. Jesus says you've heard it said love your enemy and hate or love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven love your neighbor but hate your enemy but Jesus says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you church how are we doing with this how are we doing with with loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us are we, like, are, honestly, are we praying for him at all? Or are, we, are we taking jabs back at him? Are we trying to be right, being the right, having the right words? Well, I'm not like that. I don't say that about people. I'm not like that person. God, have mercy on them. Bless their heart. Yeah, now you're laughing. It's like, oh, dang it, I say that. we doing with this there's one law a law of love love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself in order to love ourselves we have to realize that we've been loved by god that he is with us, that he is present, that he's on the scene, that his arrival is an announcement that we can be with him. But more importantly, that he is with us. David uses the wisdom of God, honors the principles of God and upholds the laws of God to discern the will of God. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus coming in the fullness of all three, the wisdom, the principles and the laws. He he did it all. He upheld everything. He was perfect. And like David, Jesus shows restraint when people question him, when they pursue him, when they spread rumors and lies about him, when they call him names, when they say he's working for Satan, when they call him enemy. He never fights back. He never takes a swing. He never changes his posture towards people because of what they're saying or even what they're trying to do to him. The entire life that we have of Jesus is Him trusting the will of the Father day in and day out, being in the presence, allowing it to transform Him. He's growing. Luke says He grows in the wisdom. He trusted God. And in that trust, He was able to, to go and meet people in their brokenness, to heal them, to cry with them, to call people out of graves. In that wisdom, he was able to turn the other cheek when somebody struck him. He was able to teach about love and forgive and and this mercy that we've all received. He extended grace and he prayed with people. He told them things like, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. It's like, you don't have to live this way. I've called you to something more. He believed in people. He saw the good in people. He saw the potential in people because he served a God who had redeemed them and was working towards the cross. In the garden, Jesus, anxious, sad, mad, terrified, full of grief in the moment, still desired the Father's will over his own. God, I see it see the road map ahead and I gotta tell you that's not how I draw it up it's not where I'd go and I'm asking you now is there another way I don't want to go to the cross but I will if that's your will because I want what you want more than what I want for myself I don't want to have to endure all this I'm, drops of blood the sweat that did turn to blood god do i have to how far are you willing to surrender how far are you willing to surrender knowing that christ surrendered fully thank you so much for joining us special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry it's because of you that this ministry is possible you can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.